Um, yeah, no, we got most of the stuff at the same time because I was going to start... I was actually going to start a different podcast with a friend, and so I got most of the stuff. She she got the stands, and she got that little headphone splitter, and then I got the other stuff, and we were going to do either a Good Wife podcast mm. or a Shadowhunters podcast. Ah. We were TBD, <laughs> um, but uh, that, that didn't end up happening, but she did. She messaged Kevin T. Porter, who we love, mm-hmm. and uh, she was like, you know, we want to start a podcast. What should we have? And he said, "These are the things you have." And so we just got them. That's you know. That's smart. Trust a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hey everyone, welcome to Hot Guys. Authentic knowledge and feelings. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, okay, I know where you're going with this. You want a little cliff that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, ooh. But I'm really not funny. No, no, no. And we shouldn't have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, Captain, my Captain! here with a very special guest today it's steve green hello hello this is this is very exciting super yeah no it's we're so happy to have you here um talking about ethan hawk you know such a fun topic uh, the most fun (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so what's your what's your relish with ethan hawk so i i did not grow up with ethan hawk i didn't get the uh, Dead Poet Society uh, Reality Bites starter mm-hmm. pack that I feel like a lot of fans mm-hmm. usually get. Mm-hmm. So my relationship to his work is primarily in the sort of character actor phase that he's grown into right now. Um, so so yeah, I I didn't even see Before Sunrise until after I graduated college. No. So so this has been something that I think has been a a more a more recent development, but. Uh, I I think going through his filmography before doing this mm-hmm. made me realize like how much of his work I enjoy even if I wasn't conscious of it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I think that kind of got intensified. One of my favorite interviews of the year, uh, Filmmaker Magazine has a podcast called Back to One mm-hmm. where they talk about uh, sort of the, the acting craft and and the principles of acting. And his episode that he did back in January, um, I think he was talking for uh for true west out in out in new york for, mm-hmm. for the stage production um but the way he talked about the the relationship between film acting and stage acting and and just the the cerebral intellectual way he not only approached it but was able to sort of verbalize to the host uh, i was like man I, I i never realized how much i like this guy <laughs> so uh so yeah so I, I think that's something that i have been on the lookout more since listening to that interview uh, mm-hmm. He's someone who I think, uh, especially like in the last few years, he's somebody who, even if you don't see the seams, even if you don't see him in the moment trying and, and, and making choices, I think he gives the kind of performances that you don't give unless you've put a lot of thought into it. He doesn't seem like a guy who shows up and just kind of wings it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and maybe maybe that was the case earlier in his career uh, when he was kind of... Uh, 
utilizing kind of that natural charisma that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's why I like his most recent performances so much because he's he's approaching it from I think a more cerebral space than he did earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. So so that's 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 sort of my how I see his sort of overall uh, arc as a on screen person. Nice, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're big fans of First Reformed. I think that might be our favorite. Um, uh, yeah, no, he's just, he's so good. Yeah, and Adopt a Highway came out, but I was on the fence about whether I should watch it or wait, you know? I've, I'm, on, I'm on the fence about, like, anything that comes out from this point on. Like, I didn't see Juliet naked, because I was like, I gotta save it for the pod. But um, I'm really tempted to, you know, see... I mean, The Good Lord Bird, I'm probably gonna watch as soon as that comes, you know, as it's out. I'm, I Fingers crossed you guys do an episode for each episode of that show. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking yeah, we'll maybe maybe two per podcast okay, episode. There you go. Yeah, I that, guess that, it depends that on how, how many episodes it's going to be of I feel the like it's going to be like one of those cable seasons, so it's got to be like ten episodes or something. I think right? it's okay. eight. I want to say eight. it's eight. Yeah, it's a, yeah I think it's, it's, it's going to be a limited thing. But yeah, that, that first, the first like official image that they sent out a week or two ago like yeah. I like if I wasn't already in on that show like great give 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 it all to me right now yeah yeah and like the cast on that is crazy not just Ethan Hawke but then uh Steve Zahn from the Hawke cinematic universe mm-hmm. um and then David Diggs and Raphael Casal are in it um there's a bunch of other people in it too but oh yeah. both of them are in it they're both in it wow. yeah yeah that's fun yeah um, I think that'll be fun. I also had a couple other um, Ethan Hawke uh, like production updates I wanted to share while we're yes. talking about yes, it. Yes, please do. It'll be old news by the time. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, you want to preserve your happiness for it in the moment. Like, this is how excited we were. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Tesla, they announced the Sundance lineup. And Tesla is going to be premiering at Sundance in January. So that's exciting. Um, and then uh, Cutthroat City, directed by RZA. Uh, starring wow. lots of people, including Ethan Hawke. Um, that they're gonna shoot that in November, December, which is or no December. They're shooting right now, I think. So um, that's exciting. Um, and then there's another movie called Camino Real that's in, uh, you know, there it's in development right now. Mm-hmm. But um, Ethan Hawke is go- is set to write and direct it, and it's ad- an adaptation of a Tennessee Williams play. There you go. Okay. It feels cool. really Ethan Hawke. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, um, and then there's another movie called Cross that I don't really know anything about, but it's going to be Andrew Nichol, and it's also in development right now. Oh, and he's the guy that directed this movie, right? Yes, say, he that's directed. A good segue. Yes, he directed wow. the movie we're talking about today, Lord of War. Yeah, and Gattaca, fan favorite Gattaca. Oh, he directed that one too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, and done, he also I've did... clearly done my research. Yeah. <laughs> did he direct the Truman Show also? Did I imagine uh, that? No, I, I... Or maybe write it or have something to do uh, with it. Maybe he, maybe he wrote it. Uh, I believe that's a Peter Weir joint, mm. uh, but I could be wrong. Oh, Peter Weir, Dead Poets Society. It all comes back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a great big swirl of... <laughs> there are only four directors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hollywood's a small town. <laughs> Peter Weir and uh, produced by Andrew Nichol. He was yeah. involved. He was involved. He was present. Yeah. He was in some of the meetings. Oh, he wrote it. He wrote it. He wrote it. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, Lord of War. I had not seen this movie before. Nope. Yeah, me neither. Um, but I liked it. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess I have, I think I always just have pretty low expectations of Nicolas Cage. Um, like, I know he's a good actor, but he makes some choices sure. sometimes. And sure. so I kind of, I, I try to, whenever I watch a Nicolas Cage movie, go in with low to no expectations so I can enjoy it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like this movie. Okay. Um, yeah. How did, how did you guys feel? <laughs> I think it was a little heavy-handed. Yeah. And a little... Much? I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, what how exactly I felt about it. I, I, I kind of felt like it was going for, like, this this kind of big, you know, almost like Scorsese-esque rise to, mm. you know, arc of a person. Mm-hmm. Going from humble beginnings to evil power, but I, I just don't think it always worked because I think the, like the philosoph- philosophical waxing of Nicolas Cage was just a little <laughs> bit too much over the course of two hours. So, mm-hmm. I, I this in, in trying to describe this movie, the thing I kept thinking about was um, if you've ever seen like a documentary about a specific person. Who mm-hmm. then, like, at the end of the movie, watch the end credits, and you see that that person also happens to be an executive producer on the movie, and you're like, oh, okay, I think I know how this project came about. Um, yeah, I, I think that this movie is so locked into Cage's character's perspective that it kind of loses sight of the other parts of, like, his character that are interesting, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's so it so much emphasizes the kind of the um, the rock star. Uh, characterization of him as a you know an international gun runner but I feel like what makes the movie interesting in the sort of the quieter moments um, especially when he's not to get too far ahead but when he's uh, those like small conversations with Baptiste which is like the two of them sitting across mm-hmm. the table just like talking about their own personal philosophies like that says way more than his voiceover does and this like constant like cocaine fueled yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah look how awesome i am and look how you know look at all the stuff that i bought and look at my beautiful trophy wife <laughs> yeah yeah that uh, the, okay that particular thing was interesting maybe because maybe i misheard i guess i must have but he said that he had like been kind of obsessed with her for like a very long time yeah and i was like oh is she gonna be like older than him but that was not the case i was like how is that like mathematically possible that well, she didn't I think he was like uh they were teens in the same yeah. um like Brooklyn area uh, okay. and so she was like they show her at the beginning kind of like it reminded me a little bit of um Snow Falling on Cedars where mm-hmm. uh, she's like the strawberry princess she's like whatever the equivalent of that is in the in the neighborhood and then she you know goes on to become a model and he can he follows her career right yeah it's it's shocking how quickly this movie moves for the first like half hour or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fit like an entire movie into that, <laughs> that first act, uh, and it's um, like I it's it's kind of exhausting. I think it's kind of meant to be in some way, mm-hmm. uh, and I I kind of wish that rather than try and do this like big, almost like cradle to grave of his career approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of admire like how intense it is, <laughs> even if it is like kind of dialed up to you know two hundred, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't always work. But there is something kind of, um, it does fit. I think Nicolas Cage's 
persona well mm-hmm. in that sense where it's just like we're not going to even pretend that this is going to be subtle. <laughs> we're right. going to have him literally turn around and face the audience within 30 seconds of you meeting this character and he's talking directly to you. It's like, oh, that's that's the kind of movie this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that opening shot itself is pretty interesting because it's you follow the course of one bullet mm-hmm. that goes like from production, and that's like and that's the over credit scene, uh, the opening credits, and then the bullet it gets like shipped to like Africa, and then it gets put in a gun, and then you see it go into the head of like a, a twelve-year-old child soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty rough. I, I mean, at least I at least. Uh, even if I like, that's not the approach that I would have taken. Like, I do, I do kind of credit Andrew Nichol with like dispensing with any subtlety right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-huh. this is like we're gonna have this bullet basically kill a teenager and then smash cut to written and directed by Andrew Nichol. Right. Uh, it's like that's that's gonna be the kind of movie this is. Uh, and so, uh, I, I think there are times when that makes a lot of sense for the story it's trying to tell, but I think it kind of locks itself into that mode right at the beginning, and I think it spends kind of the next hour and a half trying to kind of wriggle its way out of it at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do think, um, I think, Jonathan, you were saying that, like, uh, Nicolas Cage worked really well, in the, or I don't know, someone was saying that Nicolas Cage worked really well, and I think so, and I think he's maybe the only person that worked really well in this movie. Interesting. Because I think, like, Jared Leto, I, I wanted him to be better than he was in this movie, because, mm-hmm. I've, you know, we, like, we've all seen great performances from Jared Leto, we know he can act, he can act well, um, but I felt like there was, like, something just, like, a, a little short in his performance of his, of his, uh, uh, his his character who's Nicolas Cage's brother um and I don't know if it was like because he was trying to be you know a cocaine addict who was never quite there um but it just didn't really connect for me I I did not realize that he was playing Nicolas Cage's character's brother and as soon as I found that out I'm curious if I was the only one uh it just seemed to me like right away where I was like, oh, this character is not going to survive this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like he is almost exclusively there to at some point in the last like third of the movie to die spectacularly and motivate him to possibly change his ways. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. there's like a, almost like a neon sign pointing like don't get attached to this guy. <laughs> He's not going to be around forever. <laughs> Chekhov's brother. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And not like, I, I, you know, if we can jump around, but like that that ending I was the probably the most heavy-handed thing about this whole movie. Right, yeah. Yeah. It reminded me a lot. Uh, have you seen Killing Them Softly, the Andrew Dominic movie from no, a couple years ago? So With Brad Pitt? Yeah. That's, this movie made me think of that, too. Exactly. I, I want to hear why it made you think of it, and I'll tell you why <laughs> it made me think of it. I mean, it, it's, it's I guess, for kind of the same reasons of... And I, I actually went back and rewatched Brad Pitt's last like monologue at the end of that movie to mm-hmm. kind of draw a connection... Um, but yeah, just his idea of like America is a business, like right. that, that's right, right. It, it's this is that idea kind of just on a global scale, right? <laughs> like the the world is a business basically, and and keeping everybody fighting with each other is kind of how I make my money, and that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah, because because it made me think a little bit about like the fact that there are times where it feels more like a politics 101 essay mm-hmm. at times <laughs> and less like a narrative film that obviously it's like there are plenty of movies with political messages but 
with killing them softly with this movie they're so so overt about it yeah especially like the reliance on uh voiceover and like you know i mean in killing them softly they have like a tv with obama speaking like it's it's very like it's very it's really on the kind of nose about it so and i think that's a little it's a little bit like tiring to me to like watch that kind of thing but at the same time i do appreciate the value of having a movie that is, you know, about things. I think the difference between that one and, and this one is, I think one of the reasons I like Killing Him Softly, and I like that movie a lot, actually. Um, I, I think in that one, you you never lose sight of the sense of danger that all those characters are in mm-hmm. because of either the line of work they've chosen or like the circumstance that they've kind of found themselves in through no choice of their own. Uh, in this one, in Lord of War, I, I don't, even when characters are in war zones and like facing down assault rifles, uh, I I never got that sense of danger. Right. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's I don't know if it's kind of the the star quality of it, and you just you kind of know from the outset, or or it, it, it's it's set up very conveniently at the outset for Nicolas Cage's character to be this uh, this rock star who like doesn't really face. Uh, any consequences for what he does. And when he does, he seems to be in control of it and fine with it. Uh, you know, the love of his life leaves him with his son and he's like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting. <laughs> like there's no, there's no, um, you, I don't get any sense of regret or remorse uh, from him in any sort of meaningful way that translates to moving the story forward or moving right. like our understanding of anybody forward. And I think the other thing about killing him softly is like it wrapped up this political message in a little bit of like an action movie suit so you get mm. a bit of the mix of like because there's like a slow-mo bullet scene like there, there's a few yep. like action movie things in that movie and i think it, it tires you out less having the balance between like just fun dumb action stuff and like this kind of story about greed and like money and all that stuff whereas with this movie it's so steeped in this like idea of being like a prestige film but it's also ridiculous because Nicolas Cage is in it. You know what I mean? Like, and and it's ridiculous because of a lot of the like director directorial choices and the like screenwriting choices and things like that. That I think it does. It starts to feel a little bit tiring, um, because it's it somehow takes itself too seriously and sometimes not. I don't. You, you, no, do you know no. What I mean? it, it's 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 in that weird gray area where it is. It's definitely trying to be profound, yeah. Uh, and and I think it wants to have a little bit of a playful energy to it, especially when you have those like hotel room sequences where it's like, oh, look at the two brothers, like they're both with their respective ladies, like right. and there's only a thin wall separating the two. Like there's there's it's 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 trying to be winky and profound at the same time, which is a very hard combination to do if you don't if you're not a hundred percent in control of what you're trying to say with blending those two. Right. And then I think another movie that I think of is uh, Wolf of Wall Street, mm. where it's you're sort of following this arc of, not to just exclusively talk about Martin Scorsese, but <laughs> you're just sort of following this arc of a person coming from the ground up. Like, you know, you see in the very beginning that he's like working in like a penny stocks and stuff like that, and he becomes very successful. Uh, but I think that that movie as well, like what it had going for it was that there was actually a lot of humor in the movie. And I think there were a lot of other interesting characters that balanced it out a little bit more because you had like 
Margot Robbie's character who's very strong. You have uh, um, Kyle Chandler who's like the dogged detective, but you see more of him in that movie than you do Ethan Hawke in this movie. Yeah. And I think Kyle Chandler works better than Ethan Hawke mm-hmm. uh, in Wolf of Wall Street uh, than in this movie. And um, and I think also just like Martin Scorsese, like I think he just excels at that kind of narrative style of like we're, we're starting from the beginning and we're going to the end. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do, but he's done it for... 30 years and and you kind of you kind of trust that kind of story in his hands Mm -hmm. so yeah i think just to add on to the list of movies that this movie made us think about (laughs) um uh thank you for smoking that was yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. that was a big one for me um because there are those moments i think there's i haven't seen it in a while but there's definitely some fourth wall breaking in that movie and some narration and it's you know about a similar you know, a thing that kills people, but mm-hmm. it's a little funny, but mm-hmm. it's a little, right. you know, but it, there's a, a bit of a message, but, you know, but I think that this is not as good as Thank You for Smoking also. I, w- I, I would agree. That. Yeah. 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 I think the humor is a big piece of the puzzle Totally. As well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I, it's always a, a tricky thing, especially when talking about a movie. So, such a heavy subject. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's also a, uh, trying not to just, like, make the movie the way I want to. I want it to be. But right. when you when you get into those hawk scenes, which are uh, woefully few in this movie, yeah. <laughs> um, I think by the end, uh, by the last one, when they're both you know in their respective suits and they're both kind of in that interrogation room, it made me really wonder what a like catch me if you can version of this movie is that's sure. that's focused less on him being you know palling around with uh you know uh dictators around the right. world and is more about him trying yeah, the cat yeah. Ma- yeah yeah uh and I, I think there's there's a sprinkling of it in here but it's there's not really even enough to to care about jack valentine as a character yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. because it because i feel like cage is this like supernova that is just right. consuming everything yeah, around exactly. him yeah and there's just really no room to have it be the, like an equal two-hander that wouldn't would have probably been a more entertaining framework for the movie. Right, yeah. And I think that even in the hands of, like, someone who has been acting for a long time and is pretty good at it, like, mm-hmm. there's just not that much that Ethan Hawke can do because he's not given that much. I think none yeah. of the other characters are really given that much to work with. Yeah. Except for maybe Jared Leto, but he doesn't always kind of, you know. Even then, his story is a little bit... I mean, he, he, he at least has some something of an arc, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's kind of what was lacking from a lot of the characters in this movie. And, there, and there's a reason that he disappears, but it seems that when he comes back, his only purpose is to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's... I, I, I guess that there is some internal logic in the movie that makes sense that he would bring him along with him for that sort of last deal. Um, but everything from when they arrive at that sort of negotiation table and and he sees the uh the really brutal attack which is uh yeah it's it's not it's kind of horrible but um yeah everything in that sequence is sort of geared towards we need to make sure that vitali makes that switch so that it makes sense that he dies right and it kind of puts a pause on everything else for a second that that is being set up as this big important thing this big important uh sort of transaction and to to just 
kind of shove all that to the side for this like little mini Leto short film inside it. Um, it, it, it made me realize that there wasn't enough work being done with that character throughout the rest of the movie to where you you could have those things running parallel rather than like, oh, well, we haven't really addressed his innate humanity that mm-hmm. would make him want to give up his life basically to save all these people in this village. Right. Uh, so let's just like push this like really important thing we've been building up to aside for a good five minutes and then we'll come back to it when he's basically taking his last breath. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they don't do too much, but they do at least, I mean, early on in the movie, there is a scene where uh, there are like, they, they they had like made their first big sale or something like that. And there were kids on the other side of the wall that were being gunned mm-hmm. down by soldiers. And Jared Leto sort of peeks through and he has his gun and he's thinking, he's yeah. clearly thinking about like, maybe he can shoot those guys uh, to protect the kids. And he ends up being dissuaded from doing so. So I think that there is a little bit of establishing that that is within his character to Yeah, to I think do the maybe right what could have helped is if it was like clear that um, his like drug problem came from his being like disturbed by yeah. the, the gun running. Because uh-huh. um, I think that's kind of what they were getting at was that he was having a hard time with the job that they were doing. And that led him to go on the big coke binge. But it was, I... It was his escape. Yeah, yeah, and I think if that had been a little clearer, and if maybe there were like two scenes in the movie, you know, because it was it was kind of little, it wasn't that it was like two hours, right? A little bit over two hours, so yeah. it needed like just, just really brief, like just just a little sprinkle of like purpose for his character. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the thing I was saying earlier about that we could have spent more time with some of the other characters in this for movie, sure. given them more to to do. Yeah, I think um, with Ethan Hawke specifically, a lot of the work of like uh, having the audience understand their characters, I think, was done by Ethan Hawke before this movie. Like, I think his character Jake in Training Day and his character Jake in Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Um, I think that those are both kind of, I think, like spiritually similar to this character, yeah. like a, a law righteous. enforcement agent that is like you know righteous, slightly naive. Mm-hmm. He's got the the buzz cut where like someone took the the, the hair trimmer <laughs> and didn't bother like changing the setting. They just like we're gonna set it at a four and just give that to you all around your head. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and his character is named Jack in this one, yeah, also a yeah, very yeah. similar name. Yeah. So I think that like the intertext of Ethan Hawke, you know, <laughs> uh, is what made me at least be like, okay, I know this guy, I know what he's about. I don't really like it. I wish that there was more for him, but because I know him as this guy, I can just yeah. accept what's going and on. And I think that like you know, Ethan Hawke's career can be broken up into different kinds of characters that he's played. And he's played diverse characters in every stage of his career. But there are like rough kind of groupings. I think the yeah. early career is like the slightly rebellious, mm. like uh, dreamboat. Yeah. And then this stage of his career is there is quite a bit of this like righteous cop type character that mm-hmm. that we've seen in several movies now. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to watching Getaway with Selena Gomez, where I feel like he's probably going to be a similar kind of guy. Maybe not a cop, though. I don't know. I don't know anything about it except for the poster. I'm really excited. Oh, Getaway? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there... I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a... Um, there's a moment towards the end of that movie that is one of the most insane things ever put on, <laughs> on, on film. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I, I, 
you'll know it when you see it, and I encourage you to read interviews where the director talks about how they were able to pull that particular thing off, mm-hmm. because it is it is insane that no one died. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, I can't wait. Yeah. Look forward to that one. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the needle drops in this movie are insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just the most on the nose. Uh, you go back to like the heavy handed idea. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, think because like Hallelujah David Bowie in, in the beginning. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hallelujah happened. And I was like, someone's about oh, to die. <laughs> yep. And, um, and the, the, the Swan Lake as he's like, uh, caressing his like AK forty seven, it's just like oh, we we don't really need this. Yeah, and yeah. then um, Mazzy Star fade into you is oh, playing, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. it's the nineties. I know, I get it. Um, hey guys, remember Portishead? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really did like you know Showtime because there's I don't think there's any point where they like have a year. You know, they don't do like a a little text on the bottom that says the year. Do they? Uh, I think they do at the beginning. Yeah, maybe. I think they, yeah, in in the beginning, not. not I think as they're because tr- that that first half hour goes covers so much ground and and is kind of the the relentless uh, wave of exposition that it is. <laughs> I think they do need to sort of say, okay, this is this happened in 1991. This happened in you know what what however many years before that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a scene where bullets are being shot and they do a ka-ching noise. I wrote that down too. Loved it. I loved it. It was hey, good. Hey, do you know that bullets are his job and then he gets money whenever they will fire it? I also wrote down that uh, uh, he says that he has a real talent for language mm-hmm. and then uh, him speaking Spanish is like, no drogas. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah. I'm really getting the linguistic thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first time that you see, like, because he's, he's just, like, doesn't want to do anything, have anything to do with drugs. And then the guy's like, this is, like, pure shit right here. Um, and so then he ends up, and that's how, basically, Jared Leto gets mm-hmm. addicted to cocaine is because the they, step. he... he, he t- yeah, there were, like, six kilos or something, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then a whole kilo went away with Jared Leto. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they were both doing it, it's just that he, yeah. uh, Nick Cage didn't get carried away with it, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked that scene with Jared Leto when he was, like, in the, like, they, he found him in, like, Bolivia or something, yeah. and he had made the outline of Ukraine yeah, with, yeah, yeah. The, with the cocaine. I, that was very good. There are so many fun things in this movie. <sighs> Nothing more fun than bullets and, and assault rifles. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, oh, one of my, one of the most like exciting scenes to me i think was so this is like the first time we see ethan hawk um when they're on a ship and they're bringing you know they're bringing guns to like columbia or somewhere where they that's not a thing not 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 cool um and so interpol is on to them and so they have to quickly change the name of the ship and yeah. change the flag yeah. so it looks like uh, that, that was a good scene yeah and so but the tension in that scene is like really good and it's yeah. very you know kind of heisty vibe. Uh, I, I do love that part. And and it's 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 a sequence like that that makes me wish that the rest of the movie had that sense of tension and the, the idea that anything bad could go wrong at any second. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was, I think, one of the best scenes in the movie, for sure. And uh, in terms of, like, things that worked, I, I, I enjoyed the dynamic. Weirdly enough, like, the two characters whose dynamic I enjoyed the most was uh, Nicolas Cage and the, like, warlord that he was selling to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fictional president of uh, was it Liberia, Liberia, right? Yeah, and I thought they had a really interesting dynamic because you see that like 
it's it's interesting to have Nicolas Cage. His character is like he's put off by actual, like literal violence in front of him. Mm-hmm. So it, it just shows the kind of like moral bankruptcy that he he he's fine with it as long as he doesn't have to see it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? In in the sense that like there's there's a more not to say that he's like a righteous person, obviously, but there's more moral clarity. I feel like with uh, the warlord, the uh, the uh, president of Liberia, this character, mm-hmm. because he Andy, he, he uh, you know he can handle the heat, in, in, you know, in, in the way that Nicolas Cage can't. He doesn't mind the physical act of like killing, and obviously that's not a good thing, but it makes him more sort of um just like a consistent like his personality his his moral philosophy is consistent you know what i mean in a way that like nicholas cage is his character is not i like their back and forth a lot because in contrast to like i keep going back to like that first like half hour um that's overloaded with voiceover and i think there's even one point where he talks about how he needed a bunch of different passports as right. he's sifting through all the passwords, it's like right, you don't right, right. need to you be don't need explaining to tell this. Us. Yeah. You can see it, yeah. But yeah. but when when it does get into that that sort of Baptiste section where they're they're actually they're not actually doing a lot of business and it's more just them having those conversations, there's not as much you need to fill in with with him kind of explaining things over your shoulder and and right. just like watching them play out and not seeing like an idea being shoved down your throat right, every right, like right. ten minutes is is a nice kind of like breath of fresh air uh which is kind of weird when you're talking about a dictator but uh yeah it's nice to like actually have some moments where you can see things unfold rather than having Nicolas Cage tell you how to feel at each moment and also going back to what we talked about humor the the dynamic between them and just those scenes around this period in the movie uh are one of the few times where we do have some humor because we have this like consistent sort of in joke with the uh, with Andy, where he says, he keeps saying, uh, "Oh, something he, he, of something." He takes a compound word yeah. and then breaks it up. So it was like warlord, and he said, "Lord of War," which is obviously where we get the title of the Classic movie. Classic title of the movie in the movie moment. Yeah, and and so there are multiple times like that. I, I don't remember all the examples, but um, where he takes the words and he breaks he breaks them mm-hmm. up in this way, something of something instead of the compound word, which it usually is. And yeah, uh, and Nicholas Cage keeps down. sort of correcting him. And I think those moments of humor kind of were, were worked well and they, they were interesting. And there's that another scene as well where he's going to this hotel and they're watching. And this is one of those things where they're establishing the time that this is happening in. The two guys at the hotel mm-hmm. in, in Liberia are watching TV and it's about O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, one of them says, when I get to America, I won't live in Brentwood. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other something of something I have written down is uh, no one can stop this bath of blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was good. And it does feel more, he, he keeps saying I like it my way more, and it does feel more uh, impactful to say it that way because when you break it up, you really think about the components of each phrase. Lord of War feels more like a god mm-hmm. than warlord. We, we have the connotation of just someone who is a strong man of, killer mercenary whatever but lord of war has a different connotation when you hear it it sounds more like someone who's like a deity of destruction basically Mm -hmm. kind of off topic but have you guys ever seen the video where someone 
cuts together all the times when someone says the title of the movie in the movie <laughs> and just imagines <laughs> like if the movie ended when someone said the title. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't I haven't seen the cut, but I have seen that the idea that if what if the movie ended? Yeah. Uh, point, the, yeah. This, I so when he said Lord of War, I just imagined like it smash cutting credits and playing like Hooba Steak or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me very happy. That's funny. Yeah, we have a we have a friend, former guest of the show, Jorge, uh, who he he loves it when they say the name of the movie in a movie. It's it a lot of really fun. gets him going. Like we saw, we watched adaptation together, and he just <laughs> went wild. Um, yeah, yeah. Another Nicholas Cage. Another Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's. Uh, can we can we talk about uh, Ava for a second? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, should we maybe quickly? Oh, batteries at one. I don't know if it was at two when we started. Yeah. Do you think it's gonna be a problem? I think it'll be fine. You think it'll be fine? I think okay. we'll make it. I think we'll make it. Okay. Yeah. Um, is it gonna like flash or anything? Or is I it just don't know. Die? I don't know. We'll find out together. Yeah, we will find out. Um, I think we'll be fine. How long have we been recording? Thirty six. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got this. We'll be. This is yeah. We're good. We're fine. Yeah. So Ava. Um, yeah, so this is, I think, another in the series of Ethan Hawke movies that we've watched that does not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> yeah, so many. I We did a count back when we did the Newton Boys, like only three out of like 17 at that point passed the Bechdel test. And it's, you know, it's fine. Not everything has to, yeah. you know, it's just kind of like a we know what it is it's a baseline for like seeing that women get put in movies and have substantial you know things to say um but or anything to say that isn't about a man um but yeah this is another one just like that um there really there are only two female characters in this movie it's his mother and his wife and they're never they're technically in a room together but they never talk mm-hmm. um and uh, Ava is played by Bridget Moynihan, who is very beautiful, and I love her a lot. She was in a couple TV shows that I watched in the mid two thousands, um, not Blue Bloods, but um, Six Degrees, short lived, great show, and Eli Stone, short lived, great show. Gotta have faith. Gotta have faith. Yeah, man, I love that show. Anyway, but um, yeah, so it was cool to see her in this. She was in um, I Robot too. This was a big time mm. for her, the mid two thousands. She yeah. Um, but yeah, so I thought, you know, she didn't have a lot to do in this movie. Like she had lines for sure, but they were, um, like she didn't really have much of a character, like a personality, except for that she was a model. Um, and, uh, she specifically didn't want to know how they were getting their money until she did know, you know? Um, but yeah, the scene where he he like manipulates their whole her whole work and vacation schedule. It's it's so upsetting. <laughs> it's really really uncomfortable. Yeah, so he hires her for a fake modeling job right, yeah. and then it, and then she finds out that it was like quote unquote canceled like the photographer didn't make it because he was stuck in Miami and uh, then they and he also books the entire hotel so that no one else is there so that she's alone with him and then uh he makes it seem like he has a lot more money than he does have because he like rents a jet and puts his name on it yeah Ugh. 
yeah, there's a lot going on here. And he, he in his narration, you know, he makes some some joke about how all good relationships are based on lies or something. Yeah, it's rough. It's a rough movie for women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the like one of the it's not really a conversation, but the 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 point when their son takes his first steps and uh, in, in a in a bender, uh, Cage's character is shouting at the TV, and oh God, some of the lines in that like chunk of like that those paragraphs of dialogue, um, I I wonder how many takes uh, of those he actually got. But the just the interplay between the two of them when she's like, "Hey, you know, your son just walked for the first time," and he sort of waves her away. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the the point is that he, you know, is treating her, um, he's putting her on this pedestal and doesn't really want to engage with her as an actual person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's. I, I understand that that's, the, that's kind of the point, but right. there are ways of doing that while actually <laughs> giving mm-hmm. your actress something to do besides, uh, you know, kind of stare off in the middle distance and... Uh, give concerned looks to their child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also thought her backstory was a little weak. Mm. Like, her, her parents had been killed. Someone shot them. And so that ties... It attaches her to guns. Right. You know, pretty intentionally. But that's kind of it. But, yeah. So then... I don't know. I just feel like... I understand at the end that she was upset that her husband was an arms dealer. Mm. And she was... But, like... And that she was specifically upset because her parents had been shot and killed. Um, but it just, it still felt because her character didn't even, wasn't very fully formed. Even with that backstory, it didn't uh, make it feel realistic that she would have such a strong reaction at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, where she like, she like took off all her clothes because she was so disgusted. She couldn't even wear the clothes that he had bought with the the gun money, you know. Um like, I get it, but it just didn't totally connect for me still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe her, her the, the, the kind of impression I got out of her was that her assumption, I, th- I feel like her assumption was that, like, there was probably something kind of illegal about what he was doing, and she didn't want to know exactly. Yeah. But I, I think that, because, like, in that sort of situation, like, you know, she might assume that he's doing some shady stuff related to finance or something. Something that's like not gonna have such a moral impact in the mm-hmm. same way that this does. And I think that having it be, having her find out what it actually was, was like just, you know, past the pale for for her. So I think that, and I think that that is kind of how I think a lot of people would presumably react to mm-hmm. to, to that specific having someone be a arms dealer. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I just wish that she was a real person. Yeah, no, I know. I understand that point. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it seems like, like the, like the, uh, the Jack Valentine part, it, it, it's, th- there's a germ of an idea there. There's a germ of mm-hmm. a, another way this movie could have gone, but because it's trying to serve all these other ideas of him being this, uh, keep coming, like him being a rock star, basically, like it, it, it sort of chokes out all these other opportunities to 
explore what this movie could have been if you, if you're if you had room to to actually do something else with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about it until you just said that, but this is another movie that I think uh, I might have liked more if it was from the woman's perspective. Sure. We yeah. watched um, the Jimmy Show, and I felt that way a lot. Um, and this one, like, if it was like kind of a, a revolutionary road situation, she's like home uh, with you know the husband's gone all the time, doing something mysterious, mm-hmm. and uh, she was just home, kind of seeing these things on the periphery, and and it you know started to uh, build and build, and maybe Jack Valentine came into her home, and like th- something happened there, maybe. I don't know, um, but uh, you know we're making Lord of War fanfic here. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, because there are. Yeah, there are so many different ways this movie could have been done because there are just so many different elements. Elements of the, story, of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And well, and we do have a scene where the uh, Ethan Hawke and and the, the two of them meet, where he tells her about, and that's how we learn about the yeah tragic parents bruce wayne backstory <laughs> yeah um because he he's he like belabors that point and he says that you know this should bother you because such and such reason mm-hmm. um and he presents it well, she says do you have any evidence and he says no basically <laughs> but she and so she's like i don't believe you and then she eventually kind of does believe him because she ends up confronting Nick Cage, and he doesn't exactly deny it. So I think she's just kind of like, all right, I guess that's what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I, uh, at the end of the movie, found myself wishing uh, could have just been its own movie. Uh, I kind of want to see Ian Holmes' character. I want to I I see like a full version of like how he got to that point and, mm-hmm. and, and his sort of navigating, instead of just being another headshot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was an interesting and who, underutilized who, who character. Who was Ian Holmes? He was um, Weiss. The um, the he was like the top gun runner before. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But he had like some kind of ethical code, or well, I mean, more or less, like he decided who won wars. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. He uh, still had like an basically an allegiance to like the U.S. Yeah, more or less, and. Um, Nicholas Cage was pretty explicit that he like doesn't care who he sells to. He's like he's like I sold to leftists, I sold to rightists, I sold to fascists, I sold to communists. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that he doesn't care. He's an equal opportunity salesman. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was one Nicholas Cage line that I liked. It was also pretty dramatic, but he said uh, someone asked him like, "Is this how you want to be remembered?" And he said, um, "I don't want to be remembered at all. If I'm being remembered, it means I'm dead." Yeah, uh, I thought that was fun. Yeah, so there's that whole portion where after um, the Soviet Union uh, is over. Um, yeah, and that's the thing that he's excited about. Yeah. When his his kid is walking, that's the thing that he's excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because more more people to sell guns to. Yeah, and he has an uncle who's in, uh, in Ukraine who's in the military, and so that's like his access to you know all of their all of their supplies and he um they start kind of like a mutually beneficial business between the two of them yeah um and then his uncle gets blown up yeah car bomb did he was it him or was it someone else that killed his uncle i think it was weiss oh okay but it was meant for it was meant for nicholas cage oh i see right right yeah which is why then he feels less remorse about 
him dying. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not directly responsible. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's ambiguous. Like, who's responsible? <laughs> Is it him? Is the people he's selling to? Makes you think. Really does. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, fun fact that I had from the trivia on the IMDb page was that they used uh, it was it was real AK forty sevens because it was cheaper to just there was this whole supply of them that was cheaper to use than uh, getting props. Wow. Yeah. I, I saw an interview where he talked about uh, where Andrew Nichol talked mm-hmm. about the idea that they wanted to destroy all of them at the end of the production. Mm. Uh, but because it was such a significant investment and such a, uh, it was a, it, even though it was cheaper to buy actual guns rather than prop guns, it was still expensive. So they did have to sell some of them back to the guy that they bought them from, wow. this like distributor, who then apparently told him that he was going to turn around and sell them to Libya. Oh my gosh! So wow. just what, what a what a what a crazy what a crazy thing. Yeah, this movie yeah. is like part of the the problem. The problem. Yeah. That's crazy. He did say that they they did like destroy like half of them, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, little little, little dent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, there are a lot of guns. Yeah, because they're like walking through the warehouses, mm-hmm. you have, like piles and piles of guns. There's a whole lot of guns in this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Another trivia, IMDb trivia. Um, before shooting the scene where tanks were lined up for the sale, the filmmakers had to warn NATO lest they think a real war was being started when they saw satellite images of the set. That's so wild. I just there's so much. This sounds like it's like a really fascinating production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does it say anything about the 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 time lapse montage of them disassembling the plane? Because uh, I. I think that like I I tried to find info about it uh, about whether they used a real one or, or how they were able to uh, to sort uh. of get that. Um, mm, no, I'm not seeing anything about the plane. But yeah, that I I thought that scene was really cool visually. Um, yeah. 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 So basically, in that scene, they're forced. He does another thing where he's like almost about to get caught, and then he slips out and these are like we talked about earlier these are some of the most interesting and uh, engaging scenes in this movie is Mm -hmm. when he's is the cat the sort of cat and mouse aspect of it where he's about to get caught and then he manages to do something clever to get out of it first time with the boat repainting the name in this case they're flying they don't have any documentation um and the plane is full of guns yeah. And so the t- two fighter uh, jets who are from uh, Interpol. Interpol, which, you know, doesn't do that. <laughs> like, Interpol, <laughs> they, they don't? Don't? <laughs> Interpol doesn't have any, like, uh, they're not like a law enforcement agency in the traditional sense of, like, going and arresting people and using guns and things like that. They're more of like a... Uh, like a, I don't know what what you would call it, but basically, like if if there's something, they coordinate different police agencies. So if let's say you have an international fugitive, you get in touch with Interpol, they would get in touch with mm-hmm. an actual like a police department. It's so they make Interpol seem like way kind cooler. of cooler than they actually are. <laughs> You're saying they don't fire warning shots into the <laughs> into the hull of, of people invading airspaces? Yes, they're not they're not the Justice League. Um, uh, 
but yeah, so that's so that's what happens to the Interpol jets. Um, uh, tell tell the plane to make a landing, and the plane lands on the highway, which isn't really a highway. It's like a dirt path. It's mostly for foot traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see all these people like scatter to get out of the way because they're just like walking, like carrying water and things like that. Um, and it lands, and it's like that that thing where the plane like stops right before rolling over a baby. <laughs> Um, I do appreciate the fact that it's it, it, they don't just leave the baby there where it like it gets that close like someone actually does come pick right, the baby yeah, up yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's so it's not cartoonishly like oh we stopped just before the baby yeah um, and so his whole plan is that the he knows the fighter jets are not going to land there they're going to wait until some land based uh, vehicles get to the plane which gives him enough time to get rid of the weapons and what he does is he just gives them away for free to like everyone that's on the highway mm-hmm. and so they just empty out the entire plane um and then interpol shows up our buddy ethan hawk is there love it uh puts uh nicholas cage in handcuffs and it's just like you're just gonna sit here in this like just by yourself in the middle of this like field mm-hmm uh, and it'll come get you in 24 hours. He's like, that's that's how long that's how long he's allowed to be held. And yeah. in that time, the plane gets basically disassembled. Yeah. Well, this is where my my most Ethan Hawke line mm. of the film comes in. Okay. Uh, so he has like a guy on his team who's like seems like a local, and he has like a machete or something, and he takes Nicolas Cage down and is holding this machete up to his throat, and he's like, I can just end this guy. Uh, you know, and then Ethan Hawke says, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's my most Ethan Hawke line of the film. I just feel like he's, you know, he's always got that that moral compass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he also said in the same scene, uh, I don't think this is the most Ethan Hawke line, but I did like it. He says, you're AK-47, that's the real weapon of mass destruction. And I noted that one, too. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Yeah, because the point he was making was about how yes. nuclear weapons are mostly just sitting there and mm-hmm. sort of collecting dust, but people are killed all the time by these small arms and assault weapons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Did we do we want to say the rest of our Ethan most Ethan yeah. Hawkins? Okay, because for me, there's one clear answer, and it's, oh boy. it's one of the first times he opens his mouth in this movie. He is looking at a... Uh, shipping container filled with w- what looked like potatoes and he looks at it gives it a stern concentrated look and says smells <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment i was like i am ready for an hour and a half of ethan hawk as jack valentine and was very disappointed that he was not in the movie very much yeah yeah i great one word I, to I forgot to take one down but oh, no. uh yeah it's okay yeah, but those, those are good choices. Smells. I'll, I'll, I'll try and make a gif of that and send it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Smells. Oh, I have another one that's a good option. Uh, he uh, At the end, when he has Nicolas Cage in the in the inter- interview room, uh, he says, and also that interview room was like the most Gattaca-looking room. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah. It had the blue like light coming down, and the walls were like that kind of like textured gray thing that's yeah, like all over yeah. Gattaca. And, and, and it was like weirdly like like shaped too. Like there was the the interview table was on top of like a step, yeah, and then the rest of the room was completely empty. And then where there was 
where there would be like a window, like a viewing window was just like more concrete. Like mm-hmm. it was just like this like intense minimalist, like weird room. Like this brutalist, like yeah. mid-century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in that scene he says, uh, Ethan Hawke says, are you paying attention or are you delusional? Yeah. Nice. Can I buy that one off of you? You can, you can. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have one more if you want to do it. You have an, oh, okay. At the bottom. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to get into your Ethan Hawke voice. <laughs> yeah. I would tell you to go to hell, but I think you're already there. <laughs> I don't know why I made him sound like a snooty teenager. Yeah. Well, uh, he was once. I, I, <laughs> I love that there's approximately five seconds in between the first half of that sentence and the second half to where, where he's like, you you want to you want to guess how I'm finished with this? <laughs> you want to guess how I'm finished? You're already there. <laughs> yeah. Very self-satisfied smirk at the end of that sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in that interview scene, basically, he says, "This is how it's gonna go. Someone's gonna knock on the door. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be uh, someone who outranks you. Yeah, and they're gonna uh, tell you to let me go." Yeah, I did kind of, I liked that scene because I think that's one of the ways that like this kind of more imaginative fourth wall breaking like style worked pretty well Mm -hmm. because he talks through like how all these things are going to happen and then at the same time it shows it happening. Right, right. And I thought that was, that was like a fun technique, you know, more so than like just using voiceover throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and I think this is actually some of the best acting from Ethan Hawke in this scene, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, he doesn't actually have any lines in that moment. But when he's being explained what's going to happen, you see his face and you see like all of these emotions that are processing. Yeah. It's part like disbelief and then part like it's sinking in that maybe this is exactly what's going to happen. And then like part anger and part like frustration. And you see that all in about like two seconds, yeah. which is like pretty, it's actually pretty pretty powerful like man's a great actor powerful (laughs) acting in that scene yeah we stand a king (laughs) (laughs) a non-verbal king yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but i guess we should say how it gets to that point uh to the interview room so um ethan hawk's kind of been on to him for a while but also his wife is starting to get curious yeah. because she asked him to stop doing the arms dealing. So he did for six months, but then he picked up one last early, you know, one last job maybe. Um, and and he, wasn't it because of uh, his, his pal, Andy? Was yeah. That, was that he came to visit him yeah. in New York. Yeah. And so he like kind of had no choice, but also I think he really wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and so he, he sets up the steel for him. Um, but, his wife follows him to his shipping container where he keeps all of his like secret business stuff, his passports, lots yeah. of guns in there. Um, and, but because she, he's, he's hard to follow, but she's not, which is what Ethan Hawke says. Right. So he follows her to the shipping container, which is how they end up, um, you know, taking him down. Well, but then also at the same time, he's back in Liberia Right. Uh, he's in there taking the guns to Sierra Leone, and he's brought Jared Leto with him. And, right. And then that whole fiasco happens. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was that. That was. I was surprised a little bit by that aspect of that they found out because they followed her. I what I kind of expected would would have happened was that she found it, and 
and she like did the right thing Mm -hmm. and went to whatever relevant police agency she would go to which she had jack valentine's card yes Mm. did did. you see that business card it was very uh it it had like an interesting illustration on it it was it was weird like it didn't really look like a government business card um yeah, I mean, it looked like a card of a what the fictitious version of what, like, Interpol would be, you yeah. know, which is this one where they have fighter jets randomly, <laughs> and they just shoot at planes. Like an off-brand, it, it has a, a logo on it that's like an off-brand UN logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's like yeah, someone yeah. took the UN logo and then, like, rotated it, and uh, then, like, maybe like put 90 degrees. <laughs> and, yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, yeah, so what happens with this, with the Jared Leto situation is basically he does not want to go back, but he tells him, like, let's do this. Like, he just it's needs him because he needs someone that he can definitely trust um, to do this, to just watch his back. That's basically all he wants. Uh, and he brings him with him, and they... the. the this is yeah. This is so weird. But they're literally doing the drug deal, the arms deal, right above where the people yeah. they're going to kill are. As you do. Yeah. Which like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense. But, um, but that's they're literally right above them, like two hundred feet away from them, standing on top of this hill, like short hill. They're very close, is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, and Jared Leto's like, oh, they're so close. They're going to kill them right now. Uh, if we sell these guns to them, and he's like, hey, it's not our fight, you know. Um, and Jared Leto decides to try to thwart the deal. Mm-hmm. He goes to the crate of grenades, opens it up, takes one out, and then... He blows up, like, half of the weapons. Yeah, and then gets shot. Yeah. He's, like, running, and he gets shot. Does the platoon... <laughs> yeah, dramatic. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arms up in the air, getting yeah shot with bullets. Oh, platoon! What a film! Your favorite? <laughs> My favorite. She's never stayed awake through it. Yeah, I've seen it five times, but in parts. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but I still like to say I like to reference that that line where he's like, "I'm the child of Elias and Barnes." That's. A classic, classic platoon line. Because I've seen it. I've really seen most of it <laughs> five times. So you've essentially seen it like two and a half times. Well, yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's also my relationship with Saving Private Ryan. Ooh. Yeah, okay. I can't do war movies. They just put me to sleep. There's something about the guns. They like just lull me. Yeah. Is the same with this one? No. This one, I, I was pretty good during this one. And we said, I, I usually go to bed at like 10 p.m. So And I stayed up. Yeah, we started we stayed up until later. midnight watching yeah. this one. So, I made it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sad you didn't get a 30 Seconds to Mars song in the credits. I know. reward for, for finishing. <laughs> yeah. That would be good. I was kind of wondering, like, what where this fell in the timeline of Jared Leto. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just kind of just, wanted yeah, this him is, to this be is like This is like post-Panic Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think th- I think this would have been before Chapter 27. Uh, the Mark David Chapman movie oh, where he put on I forgot about uh, that. this this might have been like the last thing he did before that mm-hmm. how this would have been some years after Fight Club right yeah so, yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, that's true I forgot about I always forget about Fight Club <laughs> another movie I thought a lot during this oh yeah mm. 
I'm pulling up his filmography. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love um, My So-Called Life, but like, he didn't really like do a lot of acting in that. Like, He just like looked cute. You know? <laughs> uh, oh, he was in Alexander before this. Mm. Forgot about that movie. Uh, when I throw, I don't think I've ever seen that movie, but I really remember in um, Century City Mall, um, back when it was the old theater, it was like on the other side of the mall. They moved it okay. around 2004, 2000, 2005, because that's right after Herbie Fully Loaded. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they moved it to the other side of the mall. But in this, in the old theater, there was like a giant. Oh, maybe it was Troy. There was a giant Alexander or Troy. Uh, poster that I just remember walking by like a million times. Just a lot of armor. Yeah. Um, and then after this, he did. Yeah, he did something called Lonely Hearts. Yeah, that one was uh, delayed for a lot. No, no, that's never mind. Never mind. I'm okay. thinking, oh, of, thinking of a different Nobody. one. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That's the one that got delayed for a really long time. Oh, yeah. uh, we yeah, watched we that, watched that we? movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was busy remaking uh, The Shining and what's Last Emperor? Uh, there were a couple 30 oh. Seconds to Mars videos yes. uh, in the mid-2000s that were basically just like him uh, under the uh, director alias Bartholomew Cubbins. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> remaking uh, just classic movies and being like, well, what if what if the band was in them? <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I see this, the, yeah, it's a series of video shorts. That's fun. Good for him. Yeah. Doing what he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then Dallas Buyers Club. That was he was good in that. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, weird I, career. Weird career. Yeah, yeah. Interesting choices. Interesting choices. It's it's interesting that at one point this was considered like relatively normal for him, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like being this like uh, crazed uh, coke addict mm-hmm. uh, drawing Ukraine on a table <laughs> in. <laughs> Like that was just like oh well like like in retrospect that seems tame and mm-hmm. <laughs> compared with like going full method and terrorizing his coworkers yeah yeah I never saw, did you see Suicide Squad I have not okay. yeah he's really I'm cute in that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I've heard the word Ukraine more in the last like three weeks. This is all that I have in my entire life. This is what it was leading together. towards. Yeah. <laughs> now you have a now you have more context and mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um do you have something to share with us? Or sure. should I go first? What do you want to do? What were you gonna share? Reviews. No, I'll do my I'll okay, do my great. uh do a little break. Kaka. Jump into a hawk fact. Do you wanna do a hawk noise? <laughs> nice. Hawk sounds a little bit uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, that was that was more like, like pterodactyl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think your hawk just has a sore throat. That's the only problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, since this movie is about illegal trading, decided mm. to look into uh, exotic animal. Sales. Nice. So uh, this is this bit is from uh, the Mercury News, and this is like a column I think specifically about like animals, mm. just like anything related to like wildlife. It's called uh, Pet Pal Connection, and it's like a regular column I think. Oh, PPC. 
<laughs> Dear Joan, I love nature and like to incorporate it into my home decor. I gather dried flowers and seed. Oh, this is too much. Uh, recently, I've begun collecting bird feathers and adding them to my projects, but a friend of mine told me that it is illegal to pick up bird feathers and keep them. This sounds absurd to me. I didn't kill the bird to get the feather, I just find them on the ground. Carol from Concord. Dear Carol, I'm afraid your friend is correct. While it might sound like a case of zealous government nuttiness, there is a good reason for it. In 1918, the United States and Canada signed the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, making it illegal to trap, kill, possess, sell, or harass migratory birds, which include talks. Mm -hmm. And the protection includes their eggs, nests, and feathers. Uh, some species of birds were hunted to near extinction, and this is why this thing was enacted. You are permitted to collect feathers from non-native birds, but you cannot collect um, from any protected birds, which includes mm. a thousand species uh, on the list. Uh, it's not that they don't want you to have f the feathers discarded by birds. It's just that they don't know how you acquired them. Someone could say they found a feather on the ground, but officials have no way of knowing whether that person innocently found the feather, killed a bird, or captured it to sell illegally. There are special uh, permits uh, for Native Americans and taxidermy and some other purposes, but for the most part, you cannot. Uh, the fines for conviction go up to 15000 or a hundred thousand wow. for eagle feathers. Wow. Yeah, and to bring in a little bit more of the crime aspect of it, uh, there's this story about how from writers about how uh, exotic animals are trapped in the. Uh, they're part of the drug trade in in Mexico. It just it, they're not directly related to the drug aspect, but it's one of the things that some drug dealers trade is. Uh, selling exotic animals and they put them in these really horrible uh, conditions like they'll stuff a hummingbird into like a cigarette pack um, and Ew. nine out of ten of the animals that they sell die mm. uh, and so th this this is explicitly by hawks but hawks are mentioned in, in these articles so so there you go illegal bird trading well, thank you for sharing that fact with us, Jonathan. It's bleak. <laughs> well, this is a bleak movie. That's true. I wanted yeah. my hawk fact to have some uh, some social aspect to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I have, uh, as per usual, a Roger Ebert review. Because, uh, you know, he reviewed He's a lot the of guy. things. He's, He's the, the guy. guy. Yeah. He has some opinions that we don't always agree with here at Hawkeyes, uh, but uh, he gave this three and a half out of four stars. He really liked this movie. Interesting. Again, another, like, Ethan Hawke movies are on an upward trend with, with yeah, Roger Ebert. Yeah. He did not like the early ones. He sure did not. Um, I feel like Roger had a soft spot for Nicolas Cage, though. I feel like mm. he was he was willing to... I, one of the first things I remember uh, reading a Roger Ebert review for was... Uh, <laughs> A Nicolas Cage movie called Knowing, which he gave four stars oh, to. Yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember when he did that. That was crazy. I watched that movie. It was so bad. There you go. So I think. Uh, I, I mean, wonder, all I movies a... are precious gems, <laughs> but that one was particularly <laughs> precious. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. But maybe I, maybe he saw something in him that none of us were able to. That's true. Um, my yeah, my dad would print out. 
um, all of Roger Ebert's reviews and read them every week. No way. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, I have like a very like tangible memory of Roger Ebert reviews and he'd like read them while he was in the bath. <laughs> weird, but he was like, <laughs> so he had like a stack of like the week's Roger Ebert reviews by the bath. And so wow. I just like look at them when I was in the bathroom. Crazy. Anyway, that's a fun story from my childhood. Um, but yeah, he, he liked this movie. Um, probably, yeah, just cause he likes Nick Cage and, um, yeah. And he kind of contextualized it in, uh, like the, after, like it had come out after Hotel R- Rwanda. Mm. Um, so he says after movies like Hotel Rwanda, Before the Rain and Welcome to Sarajevo, the cold cynicism of Lord of War plays like a deadly footnote. Mm. Um, yeah. So he liked it. And then I pulled a couple other ones. Let me see which one was better. Oh, yeah. We got a good one from Peter Travers at Rolling Stone. Mm. Uh, two and a half stars out of four, which like feels a little closer, I think. Um, oh, yeah. So he had a pretty good like closing line to this review. He said, Nickel is too good a screenwriter, German show Gattaca. Uh, not to know that Hollywood cliches are hell on a film's political bite. They muzzle it. So he's talking about the um, the Jared Leto having growing a conscience and conscience in the last mm. you know moment of the movie to make it all possible. Mm. Um, yeah. So those were reviews. Interesting. Yeah. Um, this movie was endorsed by uh, Amnesty International. That's an interesting. interesting fact, yeah. That is an interesting there fact. Some other, there were some other uh, things just from the Wikipedia that were kind of interesting. Uh, that uh, the main, Yuri Orloff, which is the name of, I don't think we even said that oh, at yeah. all. But yeah, that's the name <laughs> of the character that Nicolas Cage plays. Um, oh, they, they don't call him Nicolas Cage's character? <laughs> <throughout the movie? laughs> Hello, Nicolas Cage's character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, so there's a few different people that they listed. Uh the world's arms dominator is based on Lebanese-Armenian arms dealer Sarkis Sokhanalian. Uh He shares his surname with Oleg Orlov, a Russian businessman arrested in Ukraine on suspicion of smuggling missiles. Um, and the History Channel claims that Orlov's life is based on Victor Bout, a convicted arms dealer uh, noted for smuggling arms through his aviation company fronts. Mm. And then another person is Semyon Mogilevich, Ukrainian-born suspected mastermind of organized crime. Uh, the later he was, the way he was imprisoned and later released uh, resembles Edwin P. Wilson, a retired U.S. intelligence officer who smuggled arms for Libya. Uh, the character Jack Valentine is partly based on Lee, L., uh, Lee S. Wolowski, a member of the U.S. executive who doggedly pursued the real-life Victor Bout as he sought refuge in various African and Middle Eastern countries. Um yeah, and this is where they say, in reality, Interpol does not itself engage in law enforcement activities, has no power to arrest. Um, or hold machetes up to people's necks. Yeah. <laughs> the character Andre Batiste Sr. is partly based on Charles Taylor, the president of Liberia. Junior is based on Charles Taylor's son. Oh, and then the character Colonel Oliver Southern hints at Oliver North, yeah. known for his involvement in Rand Contra. <laughs> a little heavy-handed there. And we do have uh, a... a reference to to the bush election in this movie oh yeah Do you remember where yeah, he yeah, says yeah. uh, uh baptiste is basically like 
you know, don't 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 come to me about democracy. Rigging elections holds up after the, this. The yeah. Florida 2000 election news. And mm-hmm. another interesting detail, kind of putting this in a very specific place in time. Uh, if you made this movie today, I don't know that you would necessarily need him to clarify that he did not do business with Bin Laden. Uh, um, I thought it was an interesting, uh, interesting uh, kind of thing that 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 was an aside that Nickel felt he needed to include to be like, hey, just so you know, I draw the line somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that that because this, it, it, it's weird to think of this coming out only a couple years after 9-11, mm-hmm. um, that, that that was, even then, it was still so fresh that you would need your main character to go out of his way to say, just so you know, just so you don't completely, like, tap out on me, like, <laughs> I didn't do business with him. That was an interesting little uh, detail that, again, like, I don't, I don't know. If you made the movie today, I don't know that people would necessarily need to have him clarify that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think they could have been a more honest uh, political comment. Could have been that, you know, the U.S. did sell arms yeah. to Bin Laden before, so mm-hmm. so it's not like that is out of the question. It is part of the, and it is part of the message of the movie, which is that the biggest arms arms dealers are the yeah. members of the U.N. Security Council. Um, so. Yeah, I also saw that they couldn't get any American financing for this movie, so it was wow. all international. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the one more thing from the movie I want to talk about was that like weird sequence where he does the um, the cocaine with the bullet, about the gunpowder. <sighs> oh, yeah. Um, was it? Brown Brown? Brown Brown, yeah. And um, and then that whole sequence following it, he's like kind of in a weird haze, just mm-hmm. like walking around the village that he's in, and it's like all weird, like day for night shooting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a weird look, which I at first I was like, why are they doing this? It looks like daytime. Yeah. With a filter on it, but then I like I can kind of go with it if it's like you know part of his drug his, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was an interesting scene. He sees. Uh, uh, Weiss, he has like a vision of Weiss who has like a, you know, shot Bullet through the head. head yeah. And um, uh, and then he sees these two little girls and then, oh God, this was terrible. The one girl, her arm had been like mm-hmm. cut off or something yeah. and, she's, and she says uh, that her the friend is like, ask the white man, he'll know. And then she's like, will my arm grow back, mister? Ugh, was, yeah. Yeah. And then he either, he has a run-in or imagines that he has a run-in with um, Andre Jr., um, yeah, it was a, it's a wild scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was all. That was my last. Any, any, any final thoughts? Oh, I forgot to mention the weird, uh, version of Le'Veon Rose they play it. <laughs> I think it's oh, during the, yeah. is it during like the, their, like, um, remember. the, their, when he rents out the, the hotel and is like trying to romance her. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. I can't remember, but I do remember that but song it's, happening. It's a, it's a very weird version of that song. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I had. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys have convinced me. I like this movie a little less now that we've talked <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I've been Harper. You can find me online at Harping About <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow me on Letterboxd. I'm going to drop that uh, out. Well, by this point, because it's Happy New Year, everyone. Oh this comes the first episode of the new year, 2020. 2020. Yeah. Um, so, yes, my, my ultimate list of my top 100 of the decade oh. will be out. There you go. Uh, yeah, Exciting. so check that out on Letterboxd. Um, something I've been enjoying in pop culture outside of Ethan Hawke is uh, the Frozen 2 soundtrack. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I saw it and then I left and was talking with some people about it. And no one really was that into it. But I liked the music a lot. I don't know. It was fun. Uh I like that song where they're talking about holding on to you at the beginning. Do you see Frozen Two yet? Not yet. Okay. But no, well, but now you're you're. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Me. I I want to say specifically, I've been enjoying the soundtrack, and I don't really want to like give too much praise to the movie because there is some stuff in it that I don't hmm. uh, condone, such as the heavy queer baiting and coding mm. of Elsa, um, and uh, also. The, some 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 racial stuff that's complicated Oof. so but um i did cry so good job disney Definitely um cried for the injustice <laughs> <laughs> no i i cried because of i the, cried for future generations <laughs> no i cried because of the bond of sisterhood it was so beautiful oh, nice. anyway um yeah how about you jonathan well, I'm Jonathan. You can find me on uh, Instagram at John Zavaleta, where I'm just busy influencing, you know, as I do. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, a joke. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think I've been enjoying, I'm going to say, uh, finally joined 2019. Oh, yeah. Started watching Fleabag. We did it. We did it, guys. Which, we're not into season two yet, so I don't know anything about Hot Priest, but I've been enjoying season one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I work for Variety, so it's impossible for me not to know about a hot priest. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it though. Cool. Um, yeah, how about you, Steve? Where can the people find you, and what have you been enjoying? And do you have anything else you want to plug? All right. So uh, this is kind of a complex answer as to where to find me because I'm hoping that by the time people can listen to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you will be able to find me on Twitter at one of two locations. One is my current handle at Steve Bruin. I went to UCLA, go Bruins. Um, but given that Twitter is now releasing uh, certain usernames that haven't been used in a really oh. long time, uh, the the user that has the handle Steve Green tweeted once about a dozen years ago, nice. back in 2007, hey. that they were IMing with their nephew in Virginia. Uh, so I... Uh, whoever used it once and then never used it again, one, I kind of respect that. Uh, you you got out of Twitter while you still could. Um, but uh, if they are not using that and they don't renew their handle, hopefully you can find me there. Um, you can find me on Instagram at steveisgreen. Um, uh, I am on Letterboxd, but I haven't updated in a while. You have inspired me to go through and, and update all my 2019 viewing. Nice. Um, I, uh, I write for IndieWire.com, where I'm the associate TV editor, so you can uh, find various reviews and interviews and features that I've done there. Uh, and one of those recent uh, features ties in with the, the thing that I enjoy, which is 
a show called Lodge 49, uh, AMC show, ran for two seasons, uh, unfortunately it was canceled by AMC. I also hope that by the time you're listening to this, uh, we'll have some news that they found a new home and that they're making a season three. I still am holding out hope. Uh, uh, the first season's on Hulu, second season, as of now, is on AMC. Hopefully, it will eventually be in a place where you can watch all two seasons together. It's a lovely show. Uh, two seasons, 20 episodes in total. Um, if you like White Russell, uh, he's the uh, one of the lead characters. Uh, Paul Giamatti is an ex- executive producer on the series. Uh, eventually does pop up in season two if that uh, makes you makes you more inclined to check it out. Um, but really one of the best ensembles of any TV show uh, wow. out there um, with a lot of uh, actors really shining in opportunities to dig into a character. Um, yeah, it's it, it's um, yeah, I, I, I love the show dearly and I hope that someone out there gives the show a chance to keep telling its story because they they planned out four seasons. They only got to make two. Uh, if if those two are all we get, uh, I will be grateful for them. But I really hope that we do get more. Yeah. yeah. And then as for plugs, um, since this is a podcast, um, every year I, at two points in the year, in the middle of summer and at the end of the year, I write my uh, top podcast episodes of the year list. Uh, oh, it's nice. my favorite thing that I write every year. It's my baby. I put... Uh, Far too much work into it. I love um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so that by the time you're listening to this, that will have been out. My 2019 list will have been out. So um, I, I hopefully it won't take up too much of my uh, life between now and when it goes live uh, <laughs> after we're recording this. But uh, yeah, so that'll be that'll be something that hopefully uh, is out in the world and uh, doesn't make people angry. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Twitter handles, did you hear that thing about? Uh, uh, at flawless did you, no. did you see that okay so there was someone whose user for that exact that exact same thing you were describing they're releasing the handles uh at flawless tweeted once like a really long time ago and then someone tweeted at them and said uh i'm coming for your handle <laughs> and then they logged back on after like 13 years just to say foh <laughs> fuck out of here which is kind of amazing. Like that's that's a pretty good comeback. Thirteen years yeah. in the making. It's commitment to the bit. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. So hopefully that doesn't happen to yes. with Steve with Green. That Steve Green. Steve yeah. Green hopefully he just lets it go. Guys, yeah. I'm still IMing with my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hasn't gotten back to me. <laughs> I walked to Virginia. <laughs> Oh, speaking of Virginia and Wyatt Russell, he was in—he's uh, also in Good Lord Bird. Ah, well, cool. that's and yes, and I think that is between that and uh, 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 he's not in Black Widow. Oh, I don't know. Um, he, he's in one of the M- MCU movies coming up, so mm-hmm. that's—I think that—I uh, think that time is running out if they do want to pick up that show for more. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad we got him in his full uh, voluminous beard. Uh, what we could. Yeah. He's great. I think he was one of the best things about um, Everybody Wants Some. Oh, t- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Willoughby? Is that, is that his character? Yeah, I think yeah. So, yeah. Every time I drive past, uh, there's a street in LA called Willoughby. And mm-hmm. every time I drive past that, I think of White Russell's character in that movie. Nice. Cool. You could follow the podcast at Hawkeye's Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, haven't updated the Tumblr in a long time because I haven't been on my own Tumblr in a long time. Have you been doing the TikTok? 
I did one TikTok. I'm trying to understand the the Gen Z culture. I'm doing my best, but they're so young, and it doesn't make any sense to me. The app is, like, poorly laid out. It's, like, it's not intuitive at all. Uh, And then they just, like, give you videos at the front. I don't know. I don't get it. And the, the humor, it's like they just, like, throw things and then laugh. Well, we clearly need to start a movement, a meme where people like look at like good food or like a trash can or something, and then it just cuts to Ethan Hawke and Lord of War going smells. <laughs> oh, that's you set great. it up for us. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe by the time this episode is out, I'll... I'll, I'll start an account just to just to like get it going, so it's going from more places. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Steve. you. This was thank great. I'm glad me. we got you on the show. I yeah. really, I was, I was, tr- I was working up the courage to ask you for a long time, uh. and so I'm, I'm glad I did it and that you were able to join us. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, this is, this is an, an honor and a privilege, and I appreciate it very much. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. cool. All right, good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson, and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.